You guys have a great week. I know I did. Okay, so one person had a great week. Good. All right. Two people. It's good. All right. If you guys were here last week, you guys remember what we talked about? All right. So none of you paid attention last week. So I'll uh, I'll do a quick review. Um, so last week we talked about Joshua, and we talked about how his faith was so strong that um, he actually has a conversation with God, and he consults God and says, "Oh, by the way, I need. I'm going to ask you if I can have the sun stand still and the moon stand still while I, I finish this battle." And in uh, you guys can read a little bit more about it in uh, Joshua 10. But we talked about Jericho and how when Joshua, who was the, the, the next generation leader for um, the children of Israel, when he came, he was the leader that stepped across into the promised land when Moses couldn't step across the, the, uh, the borders into the promised land. And Joshua was one of those guys that basically knew what God had said, knew what the promises that he had for his people, his family, and totally relied upon God and what he said. Now, I'll, I'll read this a little bit for you guys. It says, Joshua was confident in who God was and what he said about him and what he was saying about the promises that he gave him. So we, all, we know that when God promises something, he doesn't break his promise. We break our promises. We, we do things. We forget. We just don't do it. But God is not that way. God is a consistent person who always fulfills what he says he's going to do. We can't ever, as a human being, say, I'm I'm 100% consistent all the time. Because then we'd be 100% lying all the time. So God gives Joshua charge over the children of Israel. Joshua spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of, of spies that he went in with that were afraid to go in. And Joshua's like, I know we can take this country. I know we can take this land because God has promised it to us. But fear came into, the, into people, into the children of Israel, and they said, no, no, no. So Joshua, who I can imagine for 40 years is angry while he's walking through the desert for 40 years, saying, I'm walking through this because you guys were afraid to, and I know we could have taken them. So Joshua is, is going through the desert for 40 years, and then everything transitions into them going into, the will, or going into their promised land. So the children of Israel, they leave Egypt. When they are leaving Egypt, the Egyptians are giving them their money, their gold, their different things like that. So they're basically paying them to leave. They're saying, we don't want you here anymore. Everything that has come upon us from the plagues and whatever your God has brought upon us, we don't want you here. So we're going to pay you to go out. What's really cool about that is they're being paid to go out, but it actually says that God made everyone well as they walked. When they were going out, everyone, there was no sick among them. So we're talking from babies all the way to elderly. None of them were sick while they were leaving Egypt. So God had promised, I'm going to lead you out of this land. And it's really cool because none of them were sick when they, when they left. Um, so we see them going through the, the Red Sea, we see them going through things. And, and while this is happening, Joshua is learning from Moses. He is, he is in charge of, of leading the people in battle and leading these people in, um, the, the, he leads the defense of these people while they're out in the wilderness. So we see him and he's, he's going 40 years, he's learning, he's, he's understanding what God is saying. He's learning from Moses, who was a great leader and led these people for a lot of years. And then we see Moses dies, they go across the, 
They go into the, the promised land. They cross the Jordan. God says, you're going to cross the Jordan, but I'm not going to part the seas. I'm going to, I'm going to, your priests are going to take their step into the Jordan, and your priests have to step into the Jordan. So, you know, Joshua is telling them what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And their priests step in, and the priests step in, and the water stops. It doesn't part. It literally stops. So they, go, they walk across on dry land. So Joshua sees God's power for the 40 years that he's in the wilderness, but also sees his power when the moment they step across into the promised land. He sees that God is a faithful God. He sees that God is um, always taking care of them. So Joshua has seen their provision from the wilderness. You know, they have the, the uh, cloud by day and the fire by night. They see manna. He's seen God's provision. So he has a constant reminder of who God is. He understands that God is going to take us into this promised land. I can just imagine him you know, he's in his tent in the morning, go, every morning going, I know that I'm going into this promised land. I know that they're afraid. But he, he has this constant understanding that this land that has been promised to him and his, his, um, his relatives for so many years, for 400 years they were in slavery, God promised that he would send a deliverer to them. He's like, I've been delivered and I know I'm going to go to that promised land. So he understands what is rightfully his and what God has given him. Joshua knew, and it says this in Deuteronomy 1, it says, this is God saying, look what I have brought, excuse me, look, I've brought you right to the edge of the land that I have for you. The eternal God, I swore I'd give you your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants after them. Go in and take possession of the land. So Joshua and Caleb, they know they understand that they need to take possession of the land. They were going to take possession of the land. So they walk across the Jordan. Joshua and Caleb are so adamant and so focused on taking possession of their land. But what happens is, is they get into the land, and just like it was before they walked in in the 40 years, people are like, well, there's a lot of people, and we don't know if we can beat them. We don't know if they're going to destroy us. And, but these two are confident. These two are so confident in who God is and God's promises towards them and towards those people that that sight of walled cities, giants, whatever it is, doesn't bother them. They just know, hey, this is who God is, this is what he said, and this is what I'm going to take possession of. So if you turn to Joshua 12, or excuse me, 10, or excuse me, 6, sorry about that, um, the fall of Jericho. Now we've if you've ever been to Sunday school, you know, when you're a little kid, you sing songs about um, the walls of Jericho. You've probably heard it multiple times as a little kid. You know, you talk, they talk about these, these, um, these walls. But, and I was doing a little research. I remember that these walls were actually uh, wide enough to do chariot races on. So we're not, we're not talking like, you know, uh, a chain link fence or, you know, one of those uh, barrier walls you see alongside the highway. It's not one of those. We're talking wide enough to do chariot races on. And so this is a heavily fortified city. And so God is like, okay, God leads us always. He's leading, when he was leading the children of Israel, and he was leading Joshua. If you look throughout the book of Joshua, every time Joshua fought a battle, God led him in a different way to defeat the enemies that were in front of them. So Joshua is getting a new map a new plan on how to deal with what he what he's doing so i'll read in verse uh, one 
It says, now Jericho was, a sh- was shut up from the inside and the outside because, all the people of Israel, because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All the men were going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before them. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear trumpets. Go before the ark. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city. Let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, excuse me, commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant and the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall you go, shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout, so because the ark of the Lord to the circle of the city, going about it once, and then they came into camp and spent the night at the camp. So, you know, we normally think, okay, how am I going to solve this problem? I got to solve it immediately. Okay, I've got this problem, and I'm going, to just, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to think about a plan. I'm going to solve it. But God says to Joshua, you guys are going to walk around the city. You're going to do it once on Monday, once on Tuesday, once on Wednesday, and so on and so on. And the people are like, okay, I can't make a sound. I can't, you know, I can't blow the trumpet. Uh, we can't take our swords up. We can't do anything. We just got to walk around. And... I started to think about this. I started to realize that this was an act of faith of Joshua and the people that this is what was going to happen. It was an act of obedience for them to do what God had asked them to do. So Joshua says, you're going to walk, but you're not going to make a sound. No word will come out of your mouth. So you know, they're walking around the city and there's this one guy, you know, you always got that one guy that's like, he wants to say something. Hey, you're like, you know, tell him to keep his mouth shut because you're supposed to be in a complete silence walking around the city. Can you imagine what they're doing? They're walking around the city and the, the, the inhabitants of the city are taunting them. You know, they're probably like, you know, names, what are you doing? Your God's crazy. You're, you know, they're taunting them and saying, hey, whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking is not going to work. We're in this walled city. You're down there and you're walking around. It's not going to work. So, we see Joshua and he just says, okay, we're going to do this. God said, do it this way. We're going to do it this way. It's unorthodox. It's not our normal way of, um, of defeating our enemy. Normally we just charge in and we start, you know, we start fighting, but God says, don't do it. So they go around six days. And then verse 15, it says on the seventh day, they rose early at the, at the dawn of day, marched around the city in the same manner, seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that was within it shall be devoted to the Lord 
for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute shall, and her household shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. And then it says, but all the, and then it skips down. So all the people shouted in verse 20, all the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people had heard the trumpets, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So, Their obedience to God was what caused the circumstances that they were in to change. They, God flattened the wall for them. He destroyed the wall for them, but it was their obedience that got them where they were supposed to be. He said, God said, I'm going to give you this city. I'm going to give you everything that's in this city, but you have to be obedient to me. And so we, we see that sometimes what God asks us to do isn't always the most um, easy to understand, isn't always the easiest to um, figure out why we're doing something. But God asks us to do some things that are just normally we wouldn't think of our, our own human mind. Oh, I'm going to do this and this is how it's going to work out. You know, we look at faith in the Bible. Faith is, is contrary to everything in the natural that we want to do. Something's going bad and something's going wrong. We want to talk about it and we want to worry about it and we want to tell other people about it. But God says, hey, trust in me. Quit worrying about it. Why worry? Because worrying does nothing. Trust in me. I'll take care of it. So, If Joshua had the results that he had from dealing with God, how much more of these results should we have? How much more faith should we have than him because of the new covenant we live in, the Holy Spirit, and our salvation? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They, didn't, they had a, a connection with God, but that was God being off in this place. We have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We should be more confident, more full of faith than Joshua was because we know that the God that did this lives in us and gives us power to go through, walk through life. So John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So Joshua this, this whole city going down was, them walking around was an act of faith and a prophetic act of, I'm going to walk around this city because I know it's going to fall down. They're saying, this is going to fall down because God said it's going to fall down, and I know it's going to fall down. If you look at the, um, the Old Testament and New Testament, God instructed his people to do a lot of prophetic acts in the Old Testament. What it did, our Old Testament, New Testament, what it did is it actually shifted their circumstances into where God wanted it to be, into where God had destined them to be. You know, we look at Moses, we look at uh, Joshua, we look at a lot of these people, and we look at even people in the New Testament. They're, they're, the, what they did caused something in the spiritual realm to change, to take hold of in the physical realm. You know, we access God through faith. We receive things 
from God through faith. So that way, when we're dealing with something, we say, you know, I need your peace. We don't just pick up peace in a physical form and say, oh, I've got peace now. We access it through God. We grab hold of it from God through faith and pull that peace into our lives. We allow that peace to come into our lives. You know, when we're sick, we need, we need healing. We need peace. We need the, the calm from God to come into our lives. And we, we start to say, you know what, God, I know that your word says I, by his stripes I am healed. You access God and you pray and you receive from God. And so when we're dealing with things, we, we access God through faith because there's times where it's like, you know what? It doesn't feel like I have peace. It doesn't feel like I ha- I'm, I'm healed. But we declare that over our lives that, you know what? Man, it says by his stripes I am healed. We start to declare that and speak that over our lives because what it does is it starts to create something in the spiritual because we are spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings who have a physical body. But God says, you know what? I'm going to create you in my image. You have the same image as my son. But what I'm going to do is when you, I create you in my image, that means you have access to the same things that I have access to. It says it's impossible to please God without faith. So when, we please, when we're pleasing God, we're calling out those things that his word says about his, the promises that he has for us, the promises that he says about us, we're accessing those through faith and we can grab hold of those, grab something that is not tangible and pull it in, into a tangible realm. We can't see healing, but what we do is we believe God and we trust God and we say, you know what, I know that your word says I'm healed. And when we receive that healing, it's like, okay, I've just received from God. I've pulled something from a spiritual realm into a physical realm. You know, I was reading this book one time and it said, God has a giant table laid out before us and everything we need is laid out before us. We just have to go to that table and pull that off of that table to be able to grab it from God. We, go, we don't just sneak in the back door and go grab something. Oh, I got it, God. Look what I got. We go to God's table and he's sitting there. He says, what do you need? What do you want? And we sit at that table and we say, man, I need peace. And he says, oh, it's right here. You take some of that and you, put, and you pull it off of the table. So when we go to God, we don't just say, oh, if you would feel like it, would you give me peace? You know, it doesn't really, you know, it's up to you. No, one of the things that he says is he, he goes, I will be with you. I will give you peace. So what we do is we believe God has peace and we go and we access that and we take it like it is our own because we are sons and daughters. When we're sons and daughters, we don't just go and, and uh, beg. We, when my kids need something out of the refrigerator, they don't beg me for it. They say, hey, I'm going to grab this. Oh, okay, that's fine. And they go in and they grab a glass of milk or they grab a cheese stick or they grab some celery. We, yeah. The 10 peaches we bought on Friday that were gone yesterday morning. Um, I never got one of them. I, I'll, uh, t- I told my wife, I said, you buy my own fruit and you buy them fruit. So that way I at least have one. So, um, but when we go to God, it's like we go into his refrigerator or his table and say, yeah, you know what? I need living water. You take living water. When I need peace, you take peace from God. Because if it's sons and daughters, we have access to what he has given us. He gives us access to what, we ha- what he has because we are his children. So when he asks us to do something that doesn't look ordinary, or doesn't look like we would normally do something, we have to say, okay, God, this is totally not what I was thinking, but I'm going to trust you because I know that at the end of this result that I'm going to get what I needed to get and where you wanted me to be 
because of your leading. God will never lead you somewhere without equipping you or giving you the opportunity to be equipped to do what he's asked you to do. You know, so many times we, we, uh, we look at battles that are going on and things that are going on and we, we try to figure out ways to fix them. But 2 Corinthians says, for we walk in the world, but we do not fight according to the world's rules of warfare. We don't, we don't fight according to the flesh. So many, so many times we, we're like, oh, well, this is going on. I'm just going to tell them what I need to say, and I'm going to tell them what's what and who's who, and I'm just going to tell them off, and this is what it's going to do. And God's like, wait a minute, hold on. An easier way, instead of causing problems, would be to pray. Ask for my peace in your life, ask for peace in their life, whatever they're going through, that they will be able to, to resolve and that I will work in their lives. So instead of telling somebody what you want to tell them, and, and I should have told them this, we always have that fight that, and I would have told them this, and I would have said this, and they would have been, the, and I would have told them this is where they need to go, and this is how they need to do it. And God's just like, wait a minute, that's not going to work. Why don't you pray for them? Declare something over their life. You know, there's people that you're going to run into on a daily basis that there's something crappy going on in their life and they're going to treat other people bad because they have something going on in their life. And all you need to do is pray for them to have peace through the situation that they're in because God is working in their lives, whether you realize it or not. And they need his peace. They need his calm. They need the Holy Spirit to work in their life. They need the comforter to work in their life. So God says, hey, you know what? Quit worrying about telling them things. Start praying for them. You know, so many times we try to talk to a situation instead of about praying about a situation. We want to t- take the situation, we want to talk, tell everybody about how bad it's going and, and how life stinks and it's not going to work out. And God's just like, that's not helping. It's not going to help if you... Uh, Dave Ramsey always says, he, he tells his employees, he goes, if you have a problem with another employee, don't talk down about it, talk up about it. That means if you have a problem and there's a situation you can't solve, you don't talk to somebody that's at the same level as you. You talk to a person that's at a higher level than you. That means if it's a boss or a leader, someone that can help you resolve the issue. So God says, hey, quit talking down about the situation. Start talking to me about the situation. Don't sit there and tell everybody all your problems and everything that's happening. Start talking to God about what's going on. Many times in a battle, we see what we see is actually not in fr- is not what is actually in front of us. We see what we want to see out of a battle. We see when someone's having a bad day and they say something to us. We see, oh man, they're just this and this and this. But we don't see the inner turmoil. We don't see the spiritual side of everything. And we have to look, like Paul says in Second Corinthians, we don't look at the flesh and go, oh, they're this and this and this, and this is why I'm having this problem. We have to look at what's going on in the spiritual. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because there's times where people say something to me. I'm like, Friday I had this guy say something to me and he was yelling at me and I'm like, I'm like, and it was about something very simple. And I, and instantly I said, there's something bigger going on in his life that is causing him to yell at, yell at you about a little light that's about, about a half dollar size. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, God, what is going on? And I started to think back about the different times I dealt with him, and God showed me some things that were going on in his life in different situations. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. 
it wasn't about the little light. It was about everything that had built up in his life, everything that was going on about it. But we look at it and go, well, I'm offended at that. He yelled at me and I didn't do anything wrong. And, but we have to stop and say, okay, this is not about what is in front of me. This is about something else that's going on. And even though it may look physical, there's a lot of spiritual things. You can do something, you know, when arguments and, and different things like that, we think of it as a physical thing, but it's not. It's a spiritual thing that's going on in our hearts and in other people's hearts that caused this to happen. And we have to stop back and go, okay, I'm not going to hold this against them. I'm not going to yell at them. I'm going to stop and I'm going to look and say, okay, what's going on? What is happening in their lives? And I'm going to pray with them or I'm going to pray for them. So our lifestyle should be not, well, this person said this to me and now I'm going to be in this mindset. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to say anything to them. We have to look at it and say, okay, what is spiritually going on? So we look at Joshua, and he, he, they're going around this wall. This wall was a physical wall, but it was a spiritual battle. Even though it, everything was in the, going on in the natural. So this wall was an obstacle in, in, the, in the spiritual realm of where the children of Israel needed to go and how they were going to get there. We know they won because it talks about in the New Testament, Jesus walked through Jericho and he was going in and out of the gates of Jericho. So what could Joshua have been thinking during that time? He could have been thinking, well, you know... Uh, you know, once, I don't know if that's going to do it. Maybe if we walk around 10 times a day, it's going to get them dizzy and then we can sneak up on them. You know, the different thoughts that he could have had when God asked him to walk around a wall. You know, so many times we're like, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to be effective. But God's like, no, what you're doing is not effective. What I'm doing is effective. You're in obedience to me so I can be working for you. But Joshua could have gotten that mindset, well, I just don't know, you know, once around the wall, I mean, maybe we could walk, you know, kind of walk around the wall and we could have a couple of people hiding and they could sneak in and, we, you know, we snuck in once and now, you know, and think about this. He probably had some people that are like, well, that ain't going to work. We need to go on a full attack. We need to beat the doors down. We need to go in there. And he could have had multiple thoughts of what was going on. You knew, you know, in his heart, he's like, when God told him, walk around the wall once a day, he's thinking to myself, he's probably thinking, okay, I'm going to do it because you've asked me to do it, but wouldn't be how I would normally do it. In our mind, we're like, okay, we've got to get the biggest tank we can find, we've got to ram it through the, the door, and then we've got to go and defeat them. But God says, hey, I'm asking you to do this. Obey me in this, and I will show you the results that I've promised you. How many of you guys know that God will only lead you in battles that he's positioned you to win? He's not going to lead you in a battle and then go, oh, by the way, you're going to get defeated in this. God doesn't lose. And he's not going to lead you in a battle you're going to lose. He's always going to position you to win in a battle he leads you for. Sometimes we pick our own battles and we lose. And it's not pretty. But sometimes we have to say, okay, God, is this your battle or is this a battle I'm trying to pick up? God, when he says, I want you to go do this, he's, gonna, he's going to give you 
the victory in the area that you're, he's leading you in. If you're not seeing a victory in a certain area, he's probably not led you to do that. God doesn't leave you in defeat. If you're being defeated in an area, that means you have to reassess your, uh, the battle you're in and say, okay, God, is this a battle I should be fighting or is this something that I'm fighting on my own power and not being led by you? Nowhere in Scripture does God tell people to go into battle and you leave them high and dry. He'll never do that. God always leads his people in the correct way. He doesn't ever leave. Every time he tells us to do something, it is never exactly the same as the time before. We're like, hey, can we just do it in that way? Because that was really easy the way you told me to do it this time. But this one seems a little bit harder. And it doesn't make as much sense as the one that I just got out of. So can we do the one that I totally understand how you were leading me so we can do it that way this time? And God's like, no, I'm going to lead you differently. But he always positions us to to be have victory when we are following what he is leading us to do. He always has a strategy to win and to overcome and for us to overcome. You know, we can talk about areas in our life that are not successful. It's like, man, if this is not successful, am I being led by God? Is the spirit of the Lord leading me in victory in this area? Or do I have to reassess what I'm doing and say, am I not hearing from you correctly, God? Or am I doing it on my own will? Because there's times where we get going, it's like, oh, nope, didn't hear the Lord on that one spot. He told me to do this, but I didn't hear him on this spot, and I need to go back and say, God, what are you telling me to do for this area? Okay, I need to reassess this. I need, I need to, you to, to lead me so I know that what you need me to do for this time in this position. So, God's always going to lead us in triumph. He's always going to lead us in victory. You know, just the way an earthly father looks at his kid and like, I want my kid to win everything. I want them to be like, you know, top of their class. I want them to be the best athlete. I want them to be this. God has the same mindset when it comes to us. I want them to be an overcomer in every area of their life. I want their life to have peace. I want their life to have prosperity. I want them to have health. I want them to have a great family. And he always has that mindset. He's looking and he's going, I want this for them. I want this for them. The same way we want those things for our kids. I want my kids to grow up and have amazing husbands. I want them to have uh, great children. I want them to have great lives. And I want their lives to be full of of love and, and, and God in their lives. The same way that I want that for my kids, God wants it for our every area of our life. I want that for every area of my kids' life and my life. I don't want my kids to have lack in any area. And God's the same way. He doesn't want us to have lack. But there are areas in our life that we have lack in or we're not, it's not lining up correctly. And we have to say, okay, God, where did I miss the bus on this? Or where did I not hear your voice on this? God always leads us into victory when he's leading us. Think about that. So when he's leading us, it's always victory. So think about the areas of our life and say, you know what, Mm, not so much. I need more victory in that area, so I need to listen to God where his leading is because sometimes we take up our own sword and we try to fight a physical battle instead of a spiritual battle. And God's like, hey, I'm not leading you to do this. 
You know, we've all had that moment, well, God just told me I need to say this and this, and then we realize when we're done saying that, that was totally not God, or we did something, we're like, that was totally not the leading of God in my life, and I totally just made a mess of it. You know what? Joshua had a revelation of what he had in, in, in Christ, even though I mean, what he had, God had, Joshua knew that what God had was his. He knew what was promised was his. And we should have that understanding that whatever Christ has is for us. Romans 8.37 says, But all these things we are completely victorious through God who showed us his love for us. So, he said, we're complete, Paul's telling the people, hey, we're completely victorious. Everything we do, we should have victory in. New Century Version says, we are completely victorious through God who showed his love for us. That means we don't do it on our own. We don't do it on our own strength. We don't do it on our own power, but we do it through God, through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. You know, I want you guys to realize that when you're going through things, one of the biggest problems that can cause you to stumble is your thought life. Our thoughts many times are the most important part of the battle because our thought life will, will immediately start to convince our heart that, hey, I can't win this. I can't go through this. I can't come out on the other side of this looking like it's going to look good. So our thought process has to be that God is going to lead me. God is going to give me victory. Because what happens is, is once we are convinced in our head, our heart starts to believe it. Because you guys ever doubted something? And you're like, I don't know if this is going to happen. And I remember my driver's test when I was a kid, six, or 17, and I took my driver's test. I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think this is going to happen. I, don't think. I was doubting myself, and I completely just... But the entire time, I never had confidence in it. I was completely afraid, and I was completely took myself out of the game. I, the whole day before, I don't know, oh, this is going to be hard. I was like freaking out about it. My thoughts got me out of what I needed to do. It got me out of focus, and I had to go back and do it again. But when I went back and did it again, I realized that, okay, hey, I have to be confident in who I am, confident in what I have, and it will help. So our thoughts, a lot of times, are our most important part of the battle because our thoughts can get us out of, the, out of the battle before it even begins. Our thoughts can defeat us before the battle even happens. The enemy doesn't even need to show up because he, he realizes that our thought life will get us defeated before we even go walk, put on anything to go into the battle. So he can sit back and wait for us because we've defeated ourselves. So our thought process has to be, God is going to take care of this. God is going to fight for me. In Hebrews it says, faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even when we don't see it. So faith is saying, you know what? I don't see the victory. I don't see the end of the tunnel. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I know it's there and I believe it's there because our thought process is what needs to change. When we, when we change our thinking, the rest of our life will start to change. 
That's what Jesus did. He came and he came into a generation that he had to change the way they thought about God. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. And they were like totally messed up by that. They hated him because they, he said that. And he was trying to change the way they thought about God because they had created so much of a thought process of this is how we have to do it. And we have to do it this step and this step and this step. And he's like, he tells the woman at the well, he goes, there's going to be a day where my people worship me in spirit and truth. That means we're going to be led by him, by his spirit. And he was trying to change the way they thought of God because they thought of God as rules, regulations, and this is what we have to do in order to please God. And he's like, no, we don't have to please God this way. You have to love God with all your heart. And he was trying to change the way they thought. It took him a lot of years to even change the way his disciples thought. Even after it took his death, burial, and resurrection for his disciples to actually understand and to change the way they thought and looked at God. When God leads us, he will always lead us to win and have victory. So we need to align our faith and our thinking to allow him to do that. God doesn't ask us to do ordinary things. He's an extraordinary God. He asks us to do uh, amazing things in ordinary ways. Sometimes what people don't realize is when we, we have compassion for people, that is the love of Christ. It's such an ordinary thing, but it's the love of Christ coming through it. He asks us to do extraordinary things in ordinary ways, but he doesn't ask us to do ordinary things. God is not just a run-of-the-mill you know, one of the multiple gods that this world has and says, oh, you're just going to live your life and no good, no bad, no happiness, no sadness, and it's just going to be blah all the way through. God doesn't ask us to live that way. He doesn't ask us to do ordinary things. He asks us to do extraordinary things in ordinary ways that people don't even realize it's the love of God coming through. So we need to align our faith and our thinking to what his word says what his will is for us when something looks unattainable or hard to get through know that god won't ever lead us into a battle and not equip us to finish that battle he's never going to lead us into battle and go oh by the way i need all your swords and then run away he gives us everything we need in the word of god to equip us to fight the battles that we have So when he leads us into that, no, he's equipped you. If you're in the middle of a battle and you know that God is leading you, he's going to see you through to the end. Joshua knew that when God said, I'm leading you to the promised land, God was going to give him that promised land, no matter what was contained in that promised land, how many enemies, how many giants, whatever it was, he knew that God was going to lead him to victory throughout the entire thing to take the whole promised land. So... Our faith needs to step up and say, you know what, God, I don't understand what you're asking me to do, but I'm going to do it. It may look ridiculous. It may look stupid. And my natural mind can't wrap around it, but I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And that's called faith. It's believing that God will do something even when we don't see it. Let's pray.